What's going on, Renaissance family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Super grateful that y'all are tuned in with us for our online service. Before we get started in today's message, let me pray for us. So Heavenly Father, I am grateful for this opportunity to break open your word. And Lord, as we are breaking open the word, I pray that you would break open our hearts so that we can receive whatever it is that you want us to receive. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So last week, we took a break from the account of Exodus so we can talk about some of the madness that is the U.S. elections and all the wonderful things that have come along that. And I'm really excited to hop back into the account of Exodus because there's so much uh, that it has to teach us about us, about God, and about each other. Now, if you're new to us, to Renaissance, and you're just starting to, to join us, let me catch y'all up a little bit on what this story of Exodus is all about. It starts off in the first chapter introducing us to God's people, the Israelites. And they're in a really terrible situation. They are being enslaved by the Egyptians. And we're introduced to this character named Moses. And Moses is a Hebrew, but he ends up growing up in the house of uh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter in Egypt. And Moses has like a dual citizenship. He's a Hebrew by birth, but he's getting all of the education and all of the benefits of being an Egyptian. God gets a hold of Moses' heart, and eventually one day God tells Moses that he is going to lead God's people out of Egypt, and which is why this book is called The Exodus, which is this dramatic account of people leaving, being freed from slavery, which represents the power of sin and all the things that want to hold us down in life. And this story, this account of Exodus has so much to teach us about who we are, who God is, and who we are in relationship to each other. And two weeks ago, we were introduced to the man who was going to free God's people, a man named Moses. And today, we're taking a look at uh, the, the man in this book named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the opponent. He is the king in charge of Egypt, and he is the one that does not want to let God's people go. And at first glance, you're not going to identify with Pharaoh at all. But Pharaoh has a lot to teach us about the nature of what it means to be resistant to God and God's words. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever had something that was like crystal clear to you? I mean, it was like so clear to you that you think that someone is crazy if they don't understand this. Right now in this political moment that we're in, I'm sure you can think about people on the other aisle and things that you know to be true. These aren't things up for debate. Um, and other people, they have the same facts that you have, and yet... They don't agree or whatever truth that you try to present them, it doesn't make it into their hearts. They'll listen to it and kind of bristle at it. Now, this is true politically, but this is also true in so many other ways. I know a lot of you have friends who have been in terrible relationships. And your homegirl starts dating some dude named Craig and you don't like this dude at all. None of your friends like him. You know he is terrible or your friend starts dating someone else and you know she is terrible and everybody knows it, your parents know it, uh, all your friends, everyone knows it, but your friend just can't see it. And sometimes, the more you try to give them more facts and information, they actually become even more and more resistant to this truth. Now, what is it about people that makes us resistant to truth? Today, we're gonna to take a look at this guy named Pharaoh because there's something about Pharaoh that we see in scripture that hopefully will resonate with all of us and will let us know why is it that not just them, why is it that sometimes we are resistant to truth? Now, for a lot of people, um, we see this as an other people problem 
but it's truly a, a, an us problem. Here's what Jesus says when he talks about this concept of being hardened or calloused. And he's quoting a scripture in Isaiah in Matthew 13. He says this, for this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back and I would heal them. Now, here's a challenge ahead of us today. You're not immune. Jordan Rice is not immune. All of us are subject to being hardened, to being calloused, to being resistant to truth. Now, all of us have blind spots. Um, I remember years and years ago um, when I was in elementary school, like back in the 80s in New York, it was totally appropriate for like five-year-olds to make ashtrays for their parents. We made addiction adorable. Now, if you were to fast forward 30 years um, from that point, imagine like if your kid, if little Johnny comes home with an ashtray for you as a gift that he made in art class, that teacher, that art teacher would be fired and expelled from school. And why is that? Now, uh, 30 years ago, that was okay, but now we know that to be something that's wrong. But as we were doing it, we just had a blind spot. Decades from now, we'll all realize the blind spots we have in this moment. None of us are beyond having um, blind spots. And there's something so, so, so powerful about something we've been discussing called sin that has the ability to operate as a blind spot in our, in our life that leads us to being hardened and calloused. Now, there's a scripture I want us to uh, think about today as we are going through this account of Pharaoh. And this is like the scripture that I want running in the back of your head as a narrative that we're going to be thinking about as it applies to us. So in Hebrews 3 and 13, it says this, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So it says, encourage each other every single day so that none of you, and this author was writing to Christians, people who are following God, and this is the warning, so that none of us become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, quick caveat, there is a huge difference between being misinformed and being deceived. Misinformed people need better information. Deceived people will get that information and reject it. Now, years ago when I was in church growing up, I'll never forget this. There was a woman in our church who my mother told me was an occult. And I was young. I didn't know any better. But I just was like terrified to have any interaction with her because I thought that like if I locked eyes with her, I was going to just like float in, into like her into her orbit, orbit and I was going to be in this cult alongside of her. And deception obviously doesn't work that way. Right. You don't just have a, a quick five second conversation with someone and then change your life. But what does happen is what we see happen in Hebrews 3.13. Slowly but surely, sin has the power to deceive us. And here's what we see, what we're going to see about deception in Scripture. It prevents people from hearing God's words as from God. A truth that you know to be from God, people who are deceived will not hear them as from God because they are hardened. It makes people entrenched in, in lies and wrongdoing. And the saddest thing about it is, it prevents people from having a relationship with God. So the first thing we see about this character in scripture, uh, his, uh, this guy in scripture named Pharaoh, is that he has a hardened heart. And all throughout the book of Exodus, you'll see this theme recurring over and over and over again. And I want us to take a look at his life. So in Exodus 4, it says this, 
So Moses is talking to God and he says, God, what if they don't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked, asked him, what is it that is in your hand? A staff, he replied, throw it on the ground, God said. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became stiff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Down in verse 21, it says, the Lord instructed Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure you do before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put within your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, theologians have gone back and forth for centuries as to why Pharaoh's heart was hard. Was it God that made Pharaoh's heart hard or was it Pharaoh that made his own heart hard? In Exodus 8 and 15, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So was it God or was it Pharaoh? Now, I don't have time to take a deep dive down that rabbit hole, but I will say this. God's actions and human responsibility should never be divided or separated. We have a, we have a part to play in the hardening of our own hearts. And I don't want us to read these um, words in this account of Pharaoh as something that could never happen to us. All of us are susceptible to becoming deceived and to becoming hard-hearted in so many ways. Now, the first way I've seen this happen uh, is in our lifestyle decisions, how we behave. The way you and I behave determines what we believe. What you and I do will dictate how we eventually come to believe about certain things. And what Pharaoh believed about the Israelites changed, not based on something he observed objectively, but it changed based on the way that he was treating them. His behavior changed the way what he believed. In Exodus 1, it says, a new king, who was this Pharaoh, who did not know Joseph, came to power in Egypt. He said to this people, his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them um, with forced labor. They built Python and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. And look, listen to this in verse 12. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The more they oppressed them, the more they became to, came to dread the Israelites. Now, this isn't just biblical. This is also historical. Anyone in sociology will tell you that American slavery, American chattel slavery, started one way in the 1600s and over the years became increasingly hostile to African people. At first, it was largely an economic thing. Slavery was something that was practiced throughout many regions of the world. And certainly it was oppressive and violent and dehumanizing all these things. Fast forward 100 years, 200 years, and now black people aren't just good laborers. Now they are subhumans. And doctors have entire treaties of how they can uh, categorize a people and the treatment, the barbaric and inhumane treatment intensifies and increases because of what? Because of a new fact that they've discovered? No, it increases because the way they were treating people started to determine and change the, what, what they believed about them. 
how they believed was determined by how they behaved, or rather, what they believed was determined by how they behaved. Now, this isn't just true about ancient slavery or modern day slavery. This is also true about you and I. What we believe about God, what we believe about the world, what we believe about ourselves, that changes in many instances, not because of something new we've discovered or an objective argument, but sometimes it's because how we're believing hardens us. And as it says in Hebrews 3 and 13, that sin's deceitfulness gets a hold of us and it starts to change the way we believe. Now, a couple of examples. So let's just say you grew up in a household where honesty was a virtue and you grew up and your parents rewarded you for being honest and punished you for being dishonest. And throughout middle school and high school, honesty was something that you held to be true for yourself. You tried to be honest. You tried to avoid lying and all these different things. Now, fast forward a couple of years and you arrive in the big city and you're working at a firm and everybody in a firm is doing something that's, you know, it's not, it's not illegal, right? Nobody's walking out in handcuffs, but you know it's dishonest. Now, if you're working in this firm, you have three options. One, you can be the only holdout in the firm and it's going to be like super awkward when everybody's doing something and you're not. Two, you can quit and go to another job. Or three, you can look around and say, you know what? I mean, it's not that bad, right? Like nobody's getting arrested. And the things that would have horrified you six months ago, six years ago, now you're just kind of okay with. Everybody's doing it. And what happens? What changed your view on honesty and telling the truth and being a person of integrity? It's not something you read. It's not some old philosopher that changed your mind. It's your behavior. As you started to do the things that you knew weren't 100% right, slowly but surely, you started to become hardened and calloused so that if someone were to even challenge you or confront you about being honest, it wouldn't penetrate you. It wouldn't even bother you the same way it would have before. How we behave changes what we believe. Now, that's honesty. And um, the first one was a, an easier example for everybody who doesn't work in finance. Um, the second one is one that a lot of people struggle with. And um, I hesitated to include it in this message because, like, Whenever we talk about sex and stuff, so many people who are far away from Christianity or may not know where they stand with God, they kind of believe that God is like this, this angry judge that's just waiting to, waiting to catch people doing wrong. And he's like, doesn't want anybody to have any fun. And a couple of years, weeks ago, I talked about how the entire Bible is, a, is about Jesus. And well, where does it come into play then? Scriptures that tell us how we should live our life. Well, if we are people who have placed our faith in Christ, Christ who is, who is all, he has a right to determine how we use everything, our money, our bodies, how we forgive, and all these things. So, uh, But I've seen this to be true so many times in the life of people in Renaissance and so many times with my friends. How we, be, how we behave starts to change what we believe. Now, I know this to be true in my own life. Um, I say this um, with, with full honesty. The only reason my wife and I have a story that's remotely worth telling is like 100% because of her. The way we started out was I had convictions about how we should live our life with respect to waiting for marriage. And my convictions at noon were very different than my convictions at midnight. And what happened is eventually we started to cross small lines that I knew were wrong, but yeah, we didn't do anything like super wrong. And eventually, 
after crossing a couple of lines, I was ready to play Tevin Campbell, I'm ready, and, and get down to it. And my wife, by God's grace, uh, had the, the moral fortitude to, um, to say no to that. And um, the only reason we didn't do it is not because of me and my strength. It's, it truly was because of her. So I say this so that nobody feels judged or anything, but there's so many people who have changed their attitudes on how they deal with their bodies, how they deal with their money, how they deal with so many things, not because of something you read in scripture, not because you've heard a new argument that changed your mind. It's because slowly but surely, we get hardened by sins, deceitfulness. We start to cross lines, and then so that we don't feel bad about what we're doing, we start to change our beliefs to match our behaviors. Now, what we see happen to Pharaoh can happen to all of us. Any one of us can become hardened by sin's deceitfulness, and it happens with the lifestyle decisions that we make. Now, this is true about honesty, sex, generosity, forgiveness, and unforgiveness, right? The more you refuse to forgive someone, and by forgiving someone, I'm not talking about letting them back into your life, right? It takes one person to forgive, but it takes two people for reconciliation. But the more you hold a grudge on someone and you don't forgive them, like you become hardened to this concept of forgiveness. Even if you hear it, you get mad about it. I remember years ago, we preached a sermon on forgiveness and there was a woman who came up to me after and said, you know what? The second I read, I heard the scripture read, I was ready to walk out. I didn't want to hear anything about it. What was it that made her have that reaction to forgiveness or unforgiveness? It's something that Jesus talked about all the time. It's that her decisions, her lifestyle decisions and her refusal to forgive hardened her against it. What we, how we behave will determine and change what we believe. And I don't want any of us to become hardened by sins, deceitfulness. My boy, Rasul Berry at the Bridge Church in Brooklyn, he says it like this to show us how sin truly is not a game. He says, sin is a predatory lender. It gives you short-term gratification at the expense of long-term joy. Then when the bill comes, it entices us to pay the minimum the minimum attention to it while its interest grows in us. Finally, we end up paying much more than we ever intended for stuff that we forgot we even bought. Lord, free us of the bondage of MasterCards of unrighteousness so we can all invest in the appreciating assets of joy, peace, love, and freedom. All of us are tempted to believe that we can get away with it, but sin is a slippery slope. And the end result of it is that slowly but surely we become hardened by its deceitfulness. Now, none of this happens overnight, but what eventually happens is our behavior impacts the way we believe. And as it says in Hebrews 3 and 13, we are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, that's a tough pill to swallow, but it's a real one. And I don't want anybody playing games with the slippery slopes that sin will have us dancing on like it's a game, like it's sweet. All of us are susceptible to it. So the first is uh, our lifestyle decisions. And the second one is something we see in scripture uh, from the character of Pharaoh, and it's something called pride. Now, C.S. Lewis describes pride as this. Pride can be summarized as an attitude of self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-exaltation in relation to God. What you see in Pharaoh's life is a life beaming with pride. Um, he elevated himself in relationship to God. So in Exodus 5 and 1, it says this. Uh, later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, who is the Lord that I should go obey him by letting Israel go? 
I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Now, this is a pretty clear example of, of pride. Pharaoh was basically putting himself on par, if not higher, than the God of Israel. And in ancient Egypt, the pharaohs believed themselves to be gods. And it's a hard sell to say that you would be that prideful to think that you are God. But there are so many things that we do that are prideful, and it might not be as obvious as this. And here's a couple of things that are true about me that might also be true about you. You might not notice it at first, but if you've ever struggled to really feel forgiven, that's a sign of pride. Why is that? If you're a Christian and you have placed your faith in Christ, Scripture says that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he has separated you from your sins. All over the Bible, all over the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus has nailed all of our sins, past, present, and future, to the cross. And so many times we're like, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross, but I don't feel forgiven. It would be like if Oprah was your mother and you had a couple of student loans outstanding and Oprah says, yo, I paid the loans. And you're like, well, I, I don't know if you had enough to pay off, um, you know, my bachelor's degree loans. It would be ridiculous. Of course she does. And a lot of times we might not say that we're God, but we're saying, God, I can't be forgiven unless I feel forgiven. What are we doing? We're placing how we feel on the same level of what God says. And that's that's pride. Other times, it's not that we struggle with unforgiveness. It might be something that you'll notice in your prayer life if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer. So there's a line in the Lord's Prayer that says, your will be done. And sometimes when I, when I pray that line out loud, I get nervous in even saying it. And, and why is that? Why do we struggle so much to say, God, your will be done in my life? Because deep down inside, we believe, we don't want to admit it, but we believe that our will is just as good and sometimes better than God's will. We question if God is running the world in, in a good way, and we believe that we are sometimes wiser and smarter than, than God. What is it that makes us struggle so much to trust God's will? It's pride. Now, whether it's lifestyle, lifestyle decisions or pride in our lives, uh, we can become hardened by sin's deceitfulness, and it can harden us, and it can make us resistant to truth. Now, the antidote for this, a hardened heart, is something scripture calls the gift of repentance. Now, repentance is one of the most misunderstood concepts in the Bible. Um, in scripture, repentance is not really about emotion, it's about motion. So it's not really about feeling bad, it's about turning your perspective and turning from yourself and your sins and turning back to God. Now, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians that I, I hope will ground us for the rest of the time today about how do we really recover this heart of flesh and how do we prevent ourselves from being hardened as we turn to God in something called repentance. So 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11, a man named the Apostle Paul was talking to a church that he started and with great affection, uh, Paul had written them a letter that caused them so much grief. And here's what Paul says about this. I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. Now, what I hope nobody's feeling right now is a worldly grief because what that produces is death. And worldly grief is basically a self-centered grief that's all about you. So it's self-pity. I can't believe I did this. It's embarrassment. What are other people going to think about me? It's shame and regret. 
Uh, I'll never be able to forgive myself for what I've done. And it's unbelieving guilt that you can't forgive yourself. Now, that does not lead, lead to the life power, life-giving power that God wants us to have in our life, lives. It only leads to shame and regret. Godly grief is something that is much different. And godly grief focuses on God and how our actions have offended him. And by focusing our attention and turning back to God and putting ourselves in right relationship uh, to God, that allows us to receive from God what he wants us to have. And we turn from ourselves and back to him. So here's how I've seen it in my life. I've talked many a times about being a recovering people pleaser. And early on in my people pleasing journey, I would do or say something that I knew was wrong. And then I would just go home and feel bad. Like, man, I can't believe I said yes to that thing. Or I can't believe I told a half truth. So I, this person wasn't upset with me. And I was stuck in this cycle of people pleasing and then feeling bad about it, but nothing was changing. And I started to read scriptures like this that pointed me away from just Jordan and pointed me to God. And this gave me real power to actually change my life and to actually receive what God wanted from me. I started to see what was happening in my life wasn't just that I was a people pleaser. It was that I was holding other people's opinions of me next to what God says, or sometimes above what God says about me. So the creator and the judge of the world, his opinion of me wasn't as important as what Chuck says about me. So I was people pleasing my way through life to avoid displeasure from people who couldn't do anything to me. The sin, the real thing that is the hardening thing is that I was lowering God, lowering God's opinion, lowering God's power, his sovereignty in, in my life. And I was giving that to other people. That was the sin. And once I started to elevate God in my mind and say, God, you are you are the one who created all of us. And one day I'm going to stand in front of you and you're going to ask me how I live my life. You're not going to ask me about what so-and-so thought about me. You're going to ask me um, to give an account for how I've lived my life. And I don't care about what someone else says about me. Now, all of us, um, I hope this week we'll spend some time doing some self-reflection and some evaluation. I don't want you to pass this message on to someone else and say, oh, yo, my homegirl, she really needs to hear this. You need to hear this. I want us to be evaluating in our lives what are some areas that we might have become hardened to and to pray for God to give us a heart of flesh, to pray for God to give us this gift of repentance that he wants us to have so that we can be his followers and his children. So below this link, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, first of all, make sure you subscribe. But uh, in, this, um, in the description box, there will be a repentance exercise that we're gonna be doing in our DNA groups this week that if you're not in a DNA group, please click on that link uh, and go through it. I want us meditating on this thing and applying this personally. If you're on our website, uh, there should be an image below and you can click on that box that says repentance exercise. And this week I want us taking the hard look internally at ourselves and asking ourselves a question, am I being hardened? Am I following God with, with the, in, the, in the way that God wants me to follow him? Because none of us, none of us are beyond being hardened by sin's deception. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that we would... Um, and take your words to heart and we would look at Pharaoh in scripture and see an example of someone who was hardened and resistant to your truth. And Lord, we know that we are not above having blind spots. So I ask that you would meet us this week as we uh, come to you and that you would uh, free us from anything that has us um, hardened and you would give us hearts of flesh that can receive your word. We ask this in Jesus and we pray.
Amen and amen.